the interesting part for me is, you know, I started all by myself. And then uh, almost immediately, within about three or four months of starting to write the scripts, I brought in Doug and a few of the other designers. And then we, you know, there's a little group, and then we started building that little group that's the design group from the attic. And um, we've worked for two and a half years together. And what I've done is, you know, over those two and a half years, spent huge amounts of time uh, approving, changing, and finalizing designs for things. Uh, you know, thousands of things. The whole point of this is what works for the story. Um, it could be the coolest thing, but if people don't know what it is or how it works in five seconds, it doesn't matter. I was very clever in the first Star Wars films in that I, I kept the design very simple. And I avoided situations where I was going to get into trouble design-wise. This one I'm daring to take the chance and see what happens. Star Wars fans, move milkers everywhere, welcome to episode number 113, Blast Points, this is Jason. This is Gabe. And yep, we're going to be talking about the number one topic in the world right now, the art of the Phantom Menace. It's the book everybody wanted for Christmas, but they couldn't get. A wild time in Star Wars history, and we're going to be getting to that in just a little bit, but first, there's news we got to go over. We haven't talked about Solo lately, but there's a little tiny bit of Solo stuff going on out there. Han Solo. 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 Some little dribbles little solo dribbles of dribbling out of to keep us to keep us uh preoccupied here a slow drip from the sink while you're trying to sleep just a little iv bag of solo just enough so you don't forget so last week there was uh, a japanese trailer that came out and a japanese poster japanese poster was Pretty cool with what Han and Chewie and the Falcon and Chewie's hair all blown in the wind. I thought Chewie in that poster looked like the Forces of Destiny doll Chewie. Yeah, it does. It looks like a mix of all the bad Chewie dolls in a way. 
there was the old uh oh what was it the hasbro in the 90s like 2000 or the 2000s like 12 inch ones the bendy one that had real fur that was a terrifying chewbacca do you have that one (laughs) yeah that one's on my desk at work i never can be parted from that one (laughs) um i'm still convinced that there's chewy has like a hair dryer or a a blow dryer room on the falcon (laughs) he can just blow dry his whole body probably Uh, the trailer was cool i mean there was just a tiny tiny bit of new shots in it yeah i think i'm just we're spoiled because the the japanese or just the the general asian release trailers are always so over the top and outrageous that this was probably the tamest one yet i don't know if we'll ever have anything quite on the level of the Japanese Rogue One trailers. Those, those were probably the peak. If you're really doing this, I want to help. So they announced that what Avengers Infinity War got moved up a week to, what was it, April 27th, maybe? So that got me thinking, like, well, geez, well, I mean, when are we going to see the next solo trailer i mean i know like we kind of just got the teaser but we'll probably get at least one more and i bet you it'll be right around the same time of the avengers infinity war coming out in theaters yeah that makes a lot of sense because it sounds like they moved it ahead a week so that it comes out the same time in the u.s as it does um in europe so at least we don't have uh that week where everybody's spoiling everything on uh all over the place from seeing the movie a week earlier. So that makes sense. But yeah, I would think, right, it would be a month before Solo comes out. So it's a good time for another trailer. And then I don't know why, I guess it didn't even dawn on me too that it was coming out on Star Wars Day before. I guess I don't think about Star Wars Day enough. Oh, of Infinity War? Yeah, because it was May the 4th. So a lot of people are like, oh, that's good. They shouldn't be shouldn't be on Star Wars Day, but every day Star Wars Day. So May the 4th just comes and goes. The thing I like the most about May the 4th last year is that like TNT did their marathon. So you could wake up at nine in the morning and just watch Phantom Menace, which somehow Phantom Menace was like a great morning movie. It's like a cup of coffee. <laughs> I was literally sipping coffee and looking at Sebulba. And like, ah, doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> You can go another 40 years of living and never have a day that good. <laughs> it's like May, you know, we live in the Midwest and it's like it's finally spring and the sun is out and birds are chirping outside and the bulb is on the TV. Chuba! Boshka! Chuba! You know, something else crazy I was thinking with solo stuff. Maybe this is really reaching, but I was listening to that the, that new David Collins show, the soundtrack show. It, it got me thinking about when we went to his panel in Anaheim, restored music for Empire. There's that one little like bouncy Han theme when Han's coming into Echo Base. Do, 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 do. like i wonder if in any way john williams for whatever he's writing for solo big or small if somewhere in his head he's like yeah baby baby i already wrote a theme for han i put an empire but 
that weirdo Aaron Kushner didn't use it, baby. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, maybe. It's not like a real like heroic theme, but I wonder. I mean, it's kind of like a goofy kind of, dun, 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 you know? I don't know. The crazy thing is we're only like 70, 80 days away. If there is a trailer, you know, mid-April, maybe just about a little over a month from now, it's going to be from then until the movie coming out, it's going to be an assault. And then we'll get the Japanese trailer of someone shouting character names at us. There'll be a preview with L337 coming out breakdancing, playing basketball, shoot, you know, slam dunking a basket. Yeah, doing the moonwalk. That's no moonwalk. That's a space station. They're going to be dragging Woody Harrelson out on talk shows. It's going to be outrageous. Yeah, can't wait. They should have Chewbacca as Chewbacca on talk shows. Just put Jonas in the suit, have him be in character, and have him go on like Jimmy Fallon. Just send him R2 and BB-8. They had BB-8 got to do a duet with the with the band on... Uh which, whatever talk show that was, why don't they just have Chewbacca sit in with all the bands? Even if he just plays a tambourine, just give him a really big tambourine. He pulls a triangle out of his uh, bandolier bag. Harmonicas? That's really what we finally figured out after all these years what's in all those uh, little pouches. They're all different harmonicas, like the Blues Traveler guy. He's, just, he's ready to jam at any moment. That's yes. So just like Solo is the, the dripping faucet while you're trying to sleep, Last Jedi is like the... It's like your uh, rusty old air conditioner that just keeps making noise when you're trying to sleep. Don't forget about me. Don't forget about me. But it's been, it's been making noise for so long that you don't even notice it anymore. Let's talk about a little bit more Last Jedi stuff before the Blu-ray comes out. Get drama. Beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Last Jedi. Yeah, so ILM released a couple little short uh, behind the magic videos. I think there's a Battle of Crate one with some behind the scenes stuff. I think there was one with the hanger on the Radis was one. There's like the big, there's the big first order hanger. Oh, yeah, that, no, that's what it was, right? The first order hanger. Um, and I think some of the stuff was in other behind the scenes videos that had come out earlier, but the real meat, the real one getting people uh, all worked up was, Creating Supreme Leader Snoke. Uh, we saw some of it in that uh, video. I think we talked about last week that was going around on Twitter. Man, oh, man. If you thought Snoke was awesome in the movie, behind the scenes Snoke, it might be even better. It reminded me of like a year and a half ago when we had like rumors of what was going on with them. Like, oh, there's an eight foot Snoke puppet. And we would just dream about these things going on on sets. And it was, <laughs> it's all true. All of it. Puppets, old men in gold robes. It's all real. It all happened. So at some point in the video, they're going through like a visual breakdown, showing the layers of how they put together Snoke. There's Andy Circus with the dots over his face. And then we see something that blew our minds. Yeah, I'm still picking up pieces of my mind. There is... A giant rubber Snoke, for reference, and next to giant rubber Snoke is an, a real live old man. 
wearing Snoke's robe. I guess for old man reference, right? Just some creepy old dude, yeah, wearing a gold robe. Who is this guy? Yeah, who is old man Snoke? Is he going to be at all the conventions? Is he going to be signing autographs? Is he available for parties? Like, Andy Serkis is cool, but real live Snoke is... Oh, it's incredible. As amazing as it is to see him in the robe, just previous to that, he's just standing there in, like, jeans and a white T-shirt, and he has, like, a Snoke bib on or something. And, and he is really scary looking. <laughs> He's one step away from like Poltergeist 2. Yeah. Let me in. <laughs> Just Craig T. Nelson's going to drink some some bad whiskey and puke <laughs> him up and he's going to run underneath the bed. Watch out. We've we've been warning you that the the Last Jedi Blu-ray might be something a little bit special and if there's any more old man Snoke on there, I yeah, it's going to be a wild ride. Nobody nobody has said anything. The movie's been out for months, filmed years ago, and this is the first we learned that there was an old man on set wearing a gold robe, Old Man Snoke. Yeah, we're going to be talking about it for the rest of our lives. People saying a world between worlds, everything changed for Star Wars now. No, no, no. Old Man Snoke. And if they had a, a real Old Man Snoke, does that mean there's like a real Watto somewhere? And we just didn't know about it. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. I don't know. Last Jedi, you're very special. Special thing. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Just when you think you've seen it all, it just keeps delivering. And um, the Blu-ray is just weeks away. So yeah, tell your family you love them. Give everybody a hug. Get your affairs in order. <laughs> I hope I don't have a repeat of I did with the Phantom Menace DVD where I ate an entire box of Krispy Kremes. And I watched uh, the beginning, and I think I watched The Phantom Menace with commentary, and then passed out. I think this time you may end up just drinking a dozen Krispy Kremes. <laughs> just put them in a blender, make a Krispy Kreme smoothie, just lay down and wait for Old Man Snoke to show up. We love you, Old Man Snoke, wherever you are. planet, two Jedi Knights meet a young boy Hi. and forever change the fate of a galaxy. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Now playing at a theater near you. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. So The Art of Phantom Menace, published in 1999, written by Jonathan Bressman, who worked on Young Indiana Jones, and he worked on Radioland Murders. He worked on StarWars.com's Documentary Crew as a production correspondent, and he got the job to write The Art of Phantom Menace book. Which was a nice return when Phantom Menace was coming out in theaters, like we said, kind of with the Last Jedi book. It was nice that they officially started up the one of the longest traditions of the Star Wars films, the art of books. Yeah, and I think of all the art books, there's something extra special with Art of Phantom Menace just because 
the designs in that film are so different than what came before and even potentially what came after that it was it was exciting to see kind of as wild as the stuff in the film ended up the even crazier stuff that they went through to get to that it's a very nice sort of capsulized example of the magic of phantom menace because it's before they were going super crazy trying to connect the prequels to the original trilogy there's a handful of stuff in phantom menace that's still very much star wars but it's so far away from anything you've ever seen before, which is something about the stuff in the Art of Phantom Menace book that I really, really like. When it got me excited in thinking about the Ryan Johnson trilogy or the uh, Game of Thrones guys stuff that maybe we're going to get this, that feeling again of some new Star Wars stuff that's just almost unrecognizable in a way. And it kind of got me excited for the future to kind of get back to that. And maybe not having an X-Wing or a, or a TIE fighter in a new Star Wars film. Something that still is somehow very Star Wars, but it's just a guy riding a giant lizard. <laughs> <laughs> so people, you know, all too often when people talk about the Phantom Menace, it's all like, Ooh, Phantom Menace, blah, blah, blah. People forget, and this book is kind of a nice reminder, just how many milestones in special effects and in movie making that Phantom Menace is responsible for and kind of on the ILM website, they have a nice list of this. So let's, let's, let's run through some of these. It was the first time we ever had a walking, talking CGI star of a movie. And I think people's opinions on Jar Jar kind of overshadow the fact that Jar Jar was before Gollum and Jar Jar was the first. And it wasn't even, it wasn't like Jar Jar was even in the movie, like a little bit. Yeah, he was in the movie a lot. <laughs> but I think that's one of the things that's so interesting is as much as people don't like the character, I do feel like most of it is people don't like the character and they forget that he's a, you know, a CG thing walking around. Like there's general complaints about the CG in Phantom Menace, but when people don't like Jar Jar, they're, he's a real person to them <laughs> that they don't like. Maybe, maybe that's almost a compliment to the effects. I think I think it is. I think I mean, it's potentially why people don't think about Ahmed best enough, because it's like Jar Jar is this real thing they don't like. Not not a special effect. It's the first to feature a race through a completely virtual landscape. You think about the, the pod race in general. It's nuts. It's totally nuts. Mm hmm. Well, and if you th I think the thing to think about, too, is before the digital backgrounds in Phantom Menace, like really all you would see is the digital backgrounds in CD-ROM games. You know, like Wing Commander or something like those looked great. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, it's pretty uh, pretty amazing what they were able to accomplish in in 1999. It was the first to feature a battle scene with thousands of CGI characters, where it was CGI characters versus CGI characters going head to head in a big battle. Yeah, which we've never seen again since. <laughs> <laughs> they never did it again. But yeah, it was the first. CGI characters with rigid body simulation. So, like, you know, when uh, lightsabers go through, like, a battle droid, it, like, falls apart in, like, real physics. Mm -hmm. They did a lot of that with the pod race for the crashes. Yeah, so it really, you know, Phantom Menace, it set the new standard when it came out. It, I think people didn't even, because there was so much hoopla 
when that movie came out. It was the first new Star Wars movie, and there was so much anticipation. You know, one of the things that probably made George Lucas the most excited, the pushing the boundaries of digital cinema, I think it did what it set out to do. It created a new era of digital cinema. Yeah, and well, and it kind of set the template for how these kind of big effects movies are made. Definitely for the Star Wars films. I mean, even The Last Jedi is kind of using the same sort of pre-production techniques that were started in Phantom Menace. And definitely a lot of, you know, Marvel movies and the other big kind of effects movies are being made this way with either the effects way and then just like we're going to talk about with the concept stuff of the way the concept teams are working with the director to design everything you see on screen. And I think that's the thing with Phantom Menace, too. You don't I think it's easy to forget, like, how much of what you see on screen, basically everything, unless it's like a tree. And even then, like, was designed by this group of artists they had to design everything from the costumes to the sets to the characters to whole planets, whole cities, whole cultures. And none of it was anything you had seen in a Star Wars film before, really. Except if you count Coruscant, but not really. Most, everything else had to be, it was a really difficult task where it had to be Star Wars, but different. I mean, there were Jedis, but the Jedis looked a little different. There was R2-D2, maybe. <laughs> the, the, the astromech droids. But yeah, just so much of kind of the new style Star Wars designs. I mean, everything Jedi, the Jedi Council, Jedi Temple, like that's still showing up in Star Wars stuff today was, you know, started with this design group in, for Phantom Menace. There were new artists that were hired. There was uh, Doug Chang and uh, Terry Whitlatch were a couple of the first ones hired, and they were given like the almost impossible task to follow in the footsteps of Ralph McQuarrie and Joe Johnston. And it's interesting with the art of Phantom Menace book, as far as I can tell, I th- except for one digital painting of Watto's face, which is absolutely beautiful, it's one of the last Star Wars art books where it has very, very little digitally enhanced artwork most of it doug chang you can still see like his pencil lines and stuff it's all very ink and paint and pencil on paper kind of stuff still and i think one of the things i like too with this one more so even than the other prequel ones is it is a lot of almost black and white pencil sketches and just kind of gray marker renderings as well where it's like there you can tell they did so much so many drawings and so much so many designs that a lot of it is just kind of it didn't get to the, the beauty painting phase or a color phase. Like they were just working fa- as quick and dirty as they could to just get through all this stuff. But yeah, one of the most, I think, interesting things going back and looking at this book is just how long the production art team worked on it, right? They worked on, they were on staff the entire filming of Phantom Menace through post production. And when did you say Doug Chang started in 95? Yeah, some of the first Doug Chang drawings in this book, like, are January 1995. That's two years before the Star Wars Special Edition even came out. I was, like, right out of high school. Like, that's nuts. Yeah, and it just goes to show, I mean, it's it was kind of cool with 
Force Awakens, them getting Doug Chang to come back because really he's a big part of the the second half of the life of Star Wars going back to 95. And very much like Force Awakens 2, Phantom Menace had a like a blue sky period where it sounds like George Lucas just came in with a list of items and was like, it's Otakunga, a pod race, Nimodians. That's all I got. Go nuts, folks. Go crazy with that stuff. That's all I'm telling you. And they just, you know, felt free. And then every Friday, George Lucas would come in, look at what they did, go over some story ideas with them. And the very much like what happened with Force Awakens, the art would inform the story. Story would inform the art. And the two of them would kind of go back and forth. And then that even carried through to post-production where they would take footage of the sets they filmed and decide to redesign something there and send the footage back to the art department for them to do concepts for new things or do redesigns building off of the sets that they had already filmed, which is just crazy. Like I think one particular part I didn't, I had forgotten about was that the, the set that they filmed for the Jedi temple, they weren't happy with, I think the height of the ceiling. So they ended up, basically redesigning that and then ILM kind of rebuilt the upper half of that set digitally after the fact, after they had already filmed it, which it's like every movie does that now, but at the time, right, that was unheard of. It's like George Lucas's dream come true. Cause he's like making a special edition while he's making the movie, just constantly changing things. He's able to rethink stuff and, and the art department was based up in Skywalker ranch the whole time. They were like what they say they were up in the attic. And there's all like those behind the scenes videos where it literally looks like they're in an attic. And Lucas has his little secret door. He comes up in the uh, in the back room or back corner. Right, everybody comes in with the Hershey bars and the Coca-Cola's. I'm back on it. <laughs> well, I think it's it's another thing reading back through this book of just those web docs that came out at the same time. Um, just before Phantom Menace kind of getting everybody hyped up. They kind of showed a lot of this process like. Um, if you've never seen, I think, were those on, they're not on the Blu-ray, are they? They're on the DVD, right? Yeah, they're all on the DVD. Sadly, yeah, not on the Blu-ray. They're all on YouTube, though. But those are great to kind of visually see what's talked about in this book of just, yeah, that art team, the art department in their little attic, just drawing everything and anything they can think of. Doug Chang drawing in an attic for four years. <laughs> More than that. Help me. <laughs> All there is to eat is Hershey bars and Coca-Colas. Let me out. So hungry. Staring out the window. Watching the chickens. (laughs) I started with a staff of two, and we were given a huge list of vehicles, creatures, environments, and whatnot design. And it was just a matter of sitting down and trying to comprehend, you know, where to start first, and then how to design something that will live up to the expectations of everybody that's going to see this film. So the book is divided into planets, which is similar. That's how the art of Empire Strikes Back and the art of Rogue One book is divided up. They go in the order of appearance, you got like a Trade Federation, Naboo, Odaganga, Theed, Tatooine, Coruscant. And things get going right away with the Trade Federation. And it's fascinating, too. And we'll get into this more when we do our um, 
upcoming Phantom Menace early script draft episode, but you get to see how early Doug Chang was working on stuff because kind of in the Trade Federation ship in the beginning, it's just Obi-Wan. Qui-Gon wasn't even around yet as a character. Yeah, one of the first kind of color paintings in the book. Uh, and even TC-14's name was different. Is this TC-3? TC yeah. I would hope that it would just be Obi-Wan just saying all the dialogue, but just to himself. <laughs> Talking to his reflection in the mirror or in the window. Not about the mission, Master. It's something elsewhere. Elusive. And then he does a different voice. Don't focus on your anxieties, Obi-Wan. <laughs> TC-14's just like, I don't know what's going on. Have you ever encountered a Jedi before? Do they all talk to themselves like that? It's kind of weird. We cut from that to some battle droid drawings where there's one that really looks like a stormtrooper. And there's like giant, like eight foot tall battle droids. Yeah, it's like, what are that? Just think we could have had giant battle droids. I don't I, I wouldn't be here anymore. I would have I would have just turned into dust. I'd be like. Riding, I'd be like a train hobo. I'd, I'd literally have like a blanket on a stick with some clothes and a can of soup in it. Just, just going town to town. Any theater showing Phantom Menace? And all of these drawings, all Doug Chang. Just an art machine. Yeah, so many cool unused designs in here. The thing that always gets me, which at the time we basically got a big tease for Attack of the Clones where the Nemodians were originally supposed to look like the battle droids, but for whatever reason that didn't work. So they made them look like they looked, but then the Nemodians from Phantom Menace turned into the Geonosians in Attack of the Clones. So sometimes you're like, it's like you're looking at the Attack of the Clones art book. So after that, we kind of get into Odagunga, where there's a little intro where they say Odagunga is very much made in an Art Nouveau style that's similar to Skywalker Ranch. Where it's like, I guess. I mean, I've never been to Skywalker Ranch. Maybe you actually get to Skywalker Ranch and it's a bubble city. Well, I think there's there we're specifically, I think, calling out some of the stuff in the library, right? Oh, okay. It's like the light fixtures and things, I thought they said, which is the some of the stuff that uh, Marsha Lucas worked on. It all comes together. I mean, yeah, I was hoping that like there's a secret underground layer of Skywalker Ranch where it's bubbles <laughs> under the lake. There, there's actually an underwater city under the lake. That's what George Lucas was building for Linda Ronstadt. Like, I'll leave me before I can finish. <laughs> in Otagunga and in the Bongo submarine, it's a lot of like the bell shapes, which was in the Last Jedi book, where they were saying when when uh, Doug Chang was working on stuff for Luke's Sad Luke's Temple, he knew he's like, well, I know George likes bells, 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 bells. You know, Lucas loves his bells. Ding, ding, ding. Here I come, everybody. That's when he's coming in the secret door. It's it's the Lucas Bell. Doug Chang is like new people work in the art department. When you hear a bell, put your phone away. Lucas is coming. I think, do people have cell phones in 94? They might have. <laughs> put your Game Boy away. Put your Game Gear Advance. Your deck of cards and a your stickball. Stop playing stickball. Come on, let's go and play ball. Keep racing, Annie. You're going to be bug squad. <laughs> I think a fun thing with this book, other than all the great vehicle designs, is they went really deep on uh, creatures. And there's so many great creature designs. And there was so much, I think, with the prequels that they ended up. Remember, there's the all wildlife of Star Wars book they ended up making? Yes, and that is 
the work of Terrell Whitlatch. And she had a background, a background in zoology and anatomy. And she did um, a lot of her creatures were like brought features in of real animals. And she would get crazy, like developing like entire food chains, detailed skeletons for all the characters and the facial muscles on Jar Jar. You know, she was she would get wild. Yeah, because I'll find myself just getting getting lost staring at all the creatures in here. In the book, she has got a whole page of her Jar Jar drawings, which some of these, I mean, some of these are a little too wild, even for a Jar Jar lover like me. There's some Jar Jar drawings where he kind of looks like Daffy Duck. Or the, if, yeah, for those of you reading along at home, on page 72, there's a drawing of him where he, Jar Jar kind of looks like the, uh, the goofy Canto Bite alien that we may be seeing soon in the deleted scenes. From the massage parlor on Canto Bite. I, I never thought about that drawing number one on page 72. Isn't that the little guy from Sunny Sunny Afternoon in the Void? Mm-hmm. Was it Gascon? Yeah. And if you look at the date on that, too, that says 1994. Well, and even the next page, the uh, the Doug Chang painting of underwater Jar Jar blowing bubbles is from 95. And on that same page, we see a drawing of Jar Jar. Where we learn that for a long time, Jar Jar was supposed to have a pet dog named Blarf. Just let that sink in for a while. Well, and let it sink in that old Star Wars ideas never die. They're in the cosmic force waiting to show up in a future movie. So don't be surprised if somebody gets a dog named Blarf. Somebody's going to go to that cosmic force space portal and pull Blarf out of the past. (laughs) So he could live, he could live with Ahsoka forever. <laughs> but just looking at this and thinking about like this was the wild times in Lucasfilm, where you know, go to the next page, seventy four, seventy five. Like she basically probably spent days just drawing Jar Jar wrestling with a dog. And since we're on Jar Jar, I've I've always loved her like full nude Jar Jar drawing, which is on uh, on page seventy seven. Yeah, I don't like looking at that. <laughs> It's like if if you were taking an art class on Naboo and a Gungan showed up for life drawing, that's what you would get. I bet you Paolo probably has a whole sketchbook full of nude nude Gungan drawings from his studies. <laughs> he probably does with his dreamy eyes. Uh-huh. Whatever happened to him? He drew a lot of naked Gungans, Anakin. Kind of after all the Jar Jar drawings, we get into a whole area on Naboo where, like we were saying before, it's kind of crazy that they drew absolutely everything. Like the desks, the flags, the floor, every single piece of Naboo is designed. Oh, and you know what? Real quick before we get too far, we talked about it in uh, the Lee Brackett episode, the flying whale manta ray things that never go away are in quite a few uh, sketches in this book as well with the Naboo soldiers riding them. Yeah, for a while Naboo security was going to be flying the giant manta rays. Yeah, just kept coming. And it still could show up again. Maybe Chewie will fly one. So we kind of go to Tatooine after that. 
and there's some drawings of uh, Mos Espa, where it's very much of like a big city, and it looks very, very Jedi. Did you notice that? Yeah. Well, and some of those ended up in uh, Azutapau in Revenge of the Sith as well. The whole city and a whole thing. There's a really great drawing of a porcupine with two guns that Lucas really wanted in the movie. And then we, we get into a whole section, too, where there's a big Ian McKegg painting of an older kind of teenage Anakin, which I've always kind of been, you know, really interested in. I feel like we've talked about this before, but the whole concept of what if Anakin was older in The Phantom Menace? I mean, I know Lucas changed him to be younger, so the separation from his mom would mean more. But were Anakin to be older in Phantom Menace, and if the same char- if the same actor played Anakin through all three of the prequels, and there wasn't as big of a time jump from episode one to episode two, that could have been something interesting. Yeah, it could have been cool. There is definitely something I think neat about the time jump of, of having the 10-year gap. But, I mean, Natalie Portman was able to stay Natalie Portman, but I do, I do see where you know, having the same actor for all three movies would have been neat but i would miss cute little jake lloyd and who knows if obi-wan could have had his uh his beautiful hair it made more sense for him to suddenly show up in attack of the clones with that fascinating hairdo he needed for his his time for his hair to fill in in the back yeah (laughs) oh yes (laughs) possibly don't forget too there's the great little like thumbnail sketch of uh wald yeah, that's one of my favorite pieces in the entire book. <laughs> Somebody needs to get a tattoo of those sketches of Wald. You could be the first. <laughs> There's no production art for Kitster either, which is kind of a shame. Yeah, you're right. So we had to, to Coruscant next, and that is unique too, because Coruscant, there were Macquarie paintings of Coruscant done for Return of the Jedi, even the work on this started long before the special editions. We did see Coruscant in the Return of the Jedi special edition. Right. But now we know because of this book that the art, I mean, did this art department design the special edition stuff? It would have, right? Like they got the Coruscant designs from Phantom Menace because they were working on it at the same time. I just remember being in the theater for Return of the Jedi and like when they like, showed that part in the ending with Coruscant, it was like, oh my God. People don't know how hungry we were for anything prequel related. (laughs) That looks incredible. I don't believe it. There's a great couple pages with some of the best worth Sith Lord designs you've ever seen. There's one Sith Lord guy with a goatee. The yellow evil man. (laughs) That's my favorite Rob Zombie song. (laughs) Yellow evil man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's next to yellow blue or evil blue and yellow man. Evil yellow blue man. (laughs) Yeah. But then we got the the one design that ended up being the uh, Sith witches, ultimately. Some Mother Talzin stuff. Well, on the page before that, uh, what, 194, 195, we get our first little hint of uh, Bearded Snake Man. And then also the uh, the Fly Jedi. There's a fantastic Kaiti Mundi sketch. Yeah. Well, the description of Kaiti Mundi is great, too, where they say he is a, he's Obi-Wan crossed with a whale. Was the design idea for him. 
That makes sense. Yeah. And it's interesting too in the back, like when you get to like some of the Darth Maul stuff, you get the sense that Darth Maul, once they nailed the look of Darth Maul, it never really changed very much. Once they got past, it wasn't going to be Yellow Evil Man. Don't forget too. Then there's uh, was it page two hundred and three? The kind of shaved head Alec Guinness looking Obi Wan. Yeah, with yeah with like white hair. I always thought too that kind of looked like Russell Crowe. Really. The Qui-Gon could pass for Russell Crowe, but I guess so, yeah. There's the weird uh, Kiefer Sutherland uh, Obi-Wan in there as well. Yeah, and on page 204, you also have Joseph Fiennes, who I guess was real close to playing Obi-Wan Kenobi. There's a drawing of Joseph Fiennes, like, with the weird Kenobi haircut they were experimenting with for a while. Oh, what, what might have been. So let's go through some of our favorites from... The Art of Phantom Menace. What, what have you got? So going back to the beginning of the book, I really like all of, really all of Doug Chang's um, color paintings that are kind of Macquarie-esque, but with the Doug Chang twist. Um, so the first one I'm going to say is on page 44, the uh, Newt Gunray's Troop Inspection. That's on my list, too. With little tiny Geonosian-looking Newt and his spider chair and all the Nemodians walking through uh, Theed Palace. It's like just such a cool, like sci-fi medieval mix. I also really like that this early version of Newt Gunray, he's got like a blanket over his legs. <laughs> his feet get cold. I've got on page one thirty-four, uh, Tur Whitlatch's crazy like Where's Waldo creature fest in Mos Espa. Oh yeah, yeah, I was just looking at that a minute ago as we were going through. Yeah, it's just bonkers just like creatures everywhere and there's like a black and white drawing on the bottom or if you look real close there's like a max rebo alien yelling at another alien there's just stuff going on everywhere yeah i like we said earlier i'm really glad they gave her that creatures book but going back and looking at these again it's like they she needs to draw like 10 more books of just anything this stuff is all great Uh, especially actually on 135, where there's all the, the food stuff hanging, <laughs> there's the little frog guy just, like, jumping between panels on the, in the book. I love that one. She was really into drawing little frog people. She got it. She knows what Star Wars is about. <laughs> it's about little frog people. I want to see more little frogs. <laughs> what else have you got? Uh, well, while we're on... Uh, Tara Whitledge stuff uh, on 142, like Jabba's court with Jabba in a throne. Uh, we've never got to see Jabba in that position. M- maybe in Solo. Maybe we'll get to see him in a throne. I don't know. It looks like then there's Gardula, I'm guessing, with the fan in the back and then an even bigger, fatter hut with a cane. <laughs> this drawing right here, like you're saying, if that is exactly how we're introduced to Jabba the Hut in Solo, I wouldn't complain. I'll post a picture of this, uh, too, for um, for folks that are wondering what the heck we're talking about. But, yeah, it's Jabba's, like, sitting in a chair, and his tail is, like, coming out the front of his body. It's kind of disturbing, and it's a whole lot of awesome. And it's kind of like if you took and stabbed a hole in my head and stuck a camera in my brain, that's probably what you would see, this, this picture. <laughs> if you had to have a CAT scan and they look at the x-rays, it's the strangest thing. It's just... A bunch of Jabba's sitting around. It's like a Jabba laying down in a chair. 
<laughs> My next one I got is uh, on page 89. It's a Doug Chang painting, Gungan on a Calvary. It's a Gungan sitting on an Eopi, clouds behind him. There's a bunch of other Gungan soldiers on Eopis behind him. I don't know. There's just something. I, it takes me back to 99 and just being like, I later learned I was alone in these feelings, except maybe with you. But just looking at Gungans on Eopis and being like, God, I love that movie. Why do I love that movie so much? I don't even know. That's Doug Chang just doing his thing. His uh, Chang thing. Working on the Chang gang. Where's t-shirts with the Doug Chang's head? Working on the Chang gang. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say my next one is on 158, uh, Sebulba smoking a cigarette. (laughs) This is just like extra, extra nasty Sebulba smoking cigarettes, even though he knows it's bad for him. He's doing it anyway. Not only does he cheat, call people bad names, tries to spread his dirty habits. Yeah, there's like one where he's like trying to give cigarettes to a kid or something. <laughs> he's just a, he's just nasty. There's an early drawing of Watto, just a few pages around that too, where Watto looks like a big floating booger, and he's like smoking a cigar. I don't care. No, Danny, I got all the bad habits. A smoke. Maybe maybe Lucas had a dream and he called them up. He called Doug Chang in the middle of the night. He had a dream that there was a booger smoking a cigar. <laughs> they kept rolling dice. So my next one is on page 82. And we were talking about before the, the creature cavalry, cavalry. It's another cavalry where it's just Two dudes on Naboo riding giant lizards. That's the thing. I it's like this and like Naboo people flying giant manta rays. It's it's like a prequel movie that we never got to see. And it's almost like art from a Star Wars movie that was never made. Yeah, like there's there's another two Phantom Menace timeline movies they could have made with all these designs. And like this this painting on page 82 by Doug Chang. Creature Cavalry, you know, if I somehow snuck into Lucasfilm and I went into like, you know, the Ryan Johnson trilogy art room and I just saw that one painting, you know, then they would just come in the next morning and just find my skeleton sitting in there. It's like, it's like, it's been here for a hundred (laughs) years. He's totally decomposed. I'd have a crystal skull buried up in a blanket on me. What is this thing? Your whole skeleton would be crystal. Would be crystal. I would be one of the crystal skull aliens. I would. All right, I got one more here. One seventy-five. There's a beautiful headshot of uh, Rats Tyrell looking very uncomfortable. <laughs> it's giving you the side eye, as Rats Tyrell is known to do. And really, if you kind of hold the book right, it's it looks like he's looking at uh, Ben Quadraneros on the previous page. And he's like, why don't why don't I have goggles? Well, like we were saying, it was a beautiful time in Star Wars history where they were just going insane with 
designs and creatures, and they were setting the new standard, and they were drawing Ben Quadraneros's and Rats Tyrells and Sebulba's smoking cigarettes. And <laughs> yeah, they were just they were going out of their way to show us things we've never seen before. We never even knew we wanted to see, but once we saw, we couldn't get enough of. But still, you know, somehow deep under all the uh, under the flying boogers, they still feel Star Wars. It doesn't seem like there ever was like at any time anyone saying like, well, if I draw a flying booger and if George Lucas puts a fabuloso stamp on this flying booger, how in the world are they going to make a flying booger? There were no practical limitations to the imagination that was going on in that attic at Skywalker Ranch. Well, you know, that you bring up a good point. I didn't think about that with all the designs for the Nemodians in here, when they actually got to trying to make the costumes and it and the original design not working out, they don't have any of the concepts of what they ultimately went with in here, which I guess just goes to show as cool as these books are, there's still secrets. <laughs> Buried in the vaults. <laughs> Probably thousands and thousands of drawings that nobody has seen unless you were in that attic in uh, 1996, 97, 98. I wonder if Doug Chang ever still goes up to that attic or if he's just like, no, I spent enough time there. Thank you. Yeah, I'm good down here. When he goes to, to the ranch, he only stays outside. <laughs> I don't have to go in there. Yeah, I'll work on the porch. Is the Art of uh, Phantom Menace book, is it still available? Can you still get that? Can you still purchase it like on Amazon or something? So the Art of Phantom Menace book looks like it's out of print, but it's pretty easy to find used copies. Yeah, and there's even people with with unopened, with technically new copies for about $30 range, $20, $30 range. Yeah, that's definitely not a hard thing to track down. If you don't have it already, I recommend getting it. It's like I recommend all these stars books. Because like we say, you never know what they're going to pick from in the past. Everything's fair game with uh, Doug Chang building, designing everything from Disney Star Wars theme parks to working on the films. Who knows what is going to show up in something Star Wars in the future. And chances are it could be in one of these books. Experience the spectacle. Feel the excitement. Share the fun. Take the journey. All over again. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Rated PG. Hello. Uh, this is Jerome St. John Blake. Um, I played Masamida, Rune Harko, Oberansesis, and a few other guys in the Star Wars prequel trilogy. And I'm standing here with Gabe from Blast Points Podcast and uh, looking forward to my debut appearance on his show. Watch this space. And may the force be with you. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. 
say it every week, iTunes reviews. After you're done listening, if you're listening on iTunes, head over there, write something nice, and we will read it on an upcoming show. We've got a bunch of reviews still that we got to get through, and we will eventually really soon. We also have some amazing emails people have been sending in with some great questions and uh we'll get to those again pretty soon we're printing all of them up we're making a good stack for when we get to all those great emails yeah and don't forget to check out blastpointspodcast.com t-shirts you can listen to theme music uh get recipes rebels reviews uh while rebels is still on and uh don't forget to check us out on facebook instagram and twitter there's a new recipe on the website of surprise, surprise, Lando pot pies from Kathy. You know what you're making for dinner next week, Lando pot pies. Go on blastpointspodcast.com and check that out. Make some to go and bring it to solo. <laughs> Don't forget to keep uh, sharing the show out with your friends. If you're part of like a Star Wars like group on Facebook or something, tell people they should be listening to Blast Points. Spread spread the love and uh, don't forget to subscribe too, so you never ever miss an episode. And you're not going to want to miss next week because next week we're finally going to be talking about some of the stuff that's been happening over on Rebels. Yeah, we should uh, be digging into pretty much the whole second half through the finale of Rebels. Big crazy finale that like just aired. Hasn't aired as of recording. We haven't seen it yet, but by the time you're listening to this, it'll have been out. Crazy stuff with voices and wolves, and I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> the, the return of Hot Callus and Hondo and Rex, Wolf, Gregor, Jackson, and K2SO's brother was in there. I couldn't believe it. Saw Guerrera riding on Borgullet. Jin Erso on a moped. It was crazy. Bobcat Goldquate showed up. I couldn't believe it. So we're going to be talking about all that stuff next week with our big Rebels Spectacular. So tune in for that. But that about wraps up episode 113 here of Blast Points. And we'll be back next week, like we said. And thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. forth a lot of challenges to people in this movie things in the beginning we had no way of knowing whether it was going to work i was going out on a limb aesthetically in a lot of areas especially in some of the designs of the sets and the props some of the vehicles when you see the final movie you're looking at really thousands of people who had a very direct creative influence on the movie and i depended on a great deal to bring this galaxy into reality
made a full 